If you like the StuCast, you might want to check out what's going on over at inthemoneypodcast.com and on the In The Money Media Network. We've got a whole bunch of podcasts devoted to horse racing from the player development side to the week in, week out gambling side to the horseman side. There's going to be a show for you. Come check us out in themoneypodcast.com and we look forward to seeing you there. All right, folks, welcome back into another episode of the StuCast. And today, I mentioned it last week, we're going to the SEC. Finally, a lot of folks to talk to about the best, uh, as much as it hurts me to say, being a Big Ten guy, the best football conference in the country, bar none. Uh, starting off this whole preview, though, I'm, I'm reaching out to a guy who's been a great friend to this show. He has a phenomenal podcast, that SEC podcast, um, and he's a guy who's uh, he's alone and, and not afraid out in the woods there um, starting new ventures. He is SEC Mike, Mike Bratton. Mike, it's a pleasure to have you on, and, and congrats on, on new things and, and uh, big things for that SEC podcast, brother. Hey, I appreciate you, Stu. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be back again. And I sure picked a hell of a time to go to the Grand Prix and get sunburned as, as all can be. And then I start doing videos. So, hey, that's uh, that's right on par for me and, and just kind of what I'm doing on, on my end. But uh, thanks for having me. I just thought you were just going to tanning beds. You know, you strike me as a tanning bed kind of guy. Well, I had never been to a, a Grand Prix race before. I had no idea what I was getting into. This was the first one ever in Nashville. And uh, turns out Grand Prix, it was fun, but it's about 10 hours of sun is, is what it really is all about. So oh, lesson oh, that, learned on that day. Yeah. Uh, what is it? If you sit up higher, you just got to get underneath the uh, wherever <laughs> the shadow falls from the press box. I, yeah, I, without that's a doubt. what I've always been told. Oh, there was not much shade to be had. Trust me, not, not on Saturday. That's fair enough. Uh, Mike, I mentioned it just you know as we introed here that sec podcast it's moving it's 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 becoming bigger mm-hmm. um can you tell us what that's a little bit behind it and and what people uh can expect from the show and where they can get more info yeah absolutely i appreciate you on that one but uh you know the last several years i've worked for a website called saturday down south and you know, no bad blood there whatsoever. I wish them the best of luck moving forward. But uh, as my podcast has continued to grow over the years, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And to be honest with you, I noticed last season, uh, you know, I'm the only one out there that I know of that uh, is doing a, a podcast of this magnitude all by themselves five times. A, well, really, we do it six times during the season. And, you know, with a, a full-time job on top of it, I could just tell myself that uh, at the tail end of some of these seasons that I just don't have the energy. I mean, I'm literally waking up at uh, 6 a.m. and I work till about midnight and I do that six to seven days a week during the season. So it just wasn't really possible for me to keep doing that. And then on top of that, we wanted to go to video format. So we're on YouTube now. We got over, uh, we're closing in on 2000 YouTube subscribers and we just launched that thing about three weeks ago. So uh, the, the YouTube's blowing up, but it's taking up even more of my time. So 
uh, yeah, we got on website now that SEC podcast that I'm going to still write articles there. Uh, and then, you know, what I'm really trying to do with, with the YouTube and the website, it's all ad free. I mean, I'm, imagine uh, a time back in the day, there used to be websites where you didn't have to click on it. You didn't get videos and you didn't get ads. And then you got to turn off your ad blocker. None of that. I'm going back to, uh, it may cost me a lot of money, but I'm going to try to go back to the days when uh, you didn't get bombarded with ads and all these websites and videos and everything like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm going kind of old school, new school, doing it on YouTube, doing it on my own. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very energized to see what happens. Well, I hope, I hope folks that are listening, I know I've already checked out the website. I'm already subbed up on YouTube. I hope more folks listening go check you guys out because it's a great show shout out to cousin Shane I appreciate him um and it's a fun show uh and especially fun this year because not only are you doing the big things I mean uh and I don't want to go deep down the rabbit's hole expansion in the SEC Mm -hmm. we everybody I know you hit that that topic real hard but we still got a season to play. I mean, and Texas and Oklahoma ain't going to be in it. Right. Does that whole, uh, you know, what's coming on the horizon, does that whole situation play into anything that we're going to see happen on the field or see um, schools maneuvering this season, the current setup for the SEC? Do you think that – has any effect or are they just kind of like, well, that's cool. Uh, we'll kick the can down the road and, and address it later. Yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't really thought of it quite like that, but you know, I, I don't think they can make any huge moves until Texas and Oklahoma are officially in the SEC. And the, you know, the big question is when's that going to be because they're still on a contract till 2025. And I have not spoken to a single person that thinks, Texas and Oklahoma are going to stay in the Big 12 till 2025, but the real question seems to be 2022 or 2023. So do they got one season left? Do they got two? Uh, Everybody wants this to happen as soon as possible, aside from the uh, Big 12, of course. Uh, But uh, so that's kind of the big thing that I'll be waiting for. But, you know, if you're a program that uh, like a Texas A&M, who is clearly on the rise, maybe even a national championship contender once again out of the SEC uh, I think it's incumbent on them to you know carry on that momentum because let's say and I'm not predicting this by any means but let's say they go seven and five this year and then Texas is coming into the SEC and Sarkeesian maybe he's got it rolling maybe he's got a quarterback down there I know they got a really good running back but uh, you know the narratives in college football can change in a hurry and I'm not even talking season to season because if you want to go back to December of last year, I mean, the Florida Gators were knocking on the door of winning the entire SEC. They were, they appeared to be a lock for the college football playoff. And what happens? They drop a, you know, a a devastating game to LSU. They lose to Alabama. Before they did that, they threw a shoe, but yes. (laughs) And then they got blowed out against Oklahoma. And then Dan Mullen's looking for an NFL job. So, I mean, in a span of a month, things can change drastically, you know? So uh, I can only imagine what can happen in a year or two years if Texas A&M were to take a step back and Texas were to keep rising. So uh, I think that's the program to really watch. They've got to keep that pedal to the metal and, and have their best season yet. 
and hopefully for their sake that the, the Longhorns struggle the first year of the C. Sarkeesian era. I have to move exactly to, you mentioned the team. Uh, the team I just cannot get a read on this season in the SEC is this Florida team. I have friends that will tell me Emory Jones is the next thing since sliced bread. And I got others saying, nah, this guy, he just ain't it. It's not going to work. Florida seems like their defense is obviously, it has to be better than what it was last year. Um, you've got a ton of that Florida speed, something they bring in year in, year out, a nice transfer from Clemson uh, at running back. But it really is going to go as far as Emory Jones goes. What do you place his chances at, and, and, and how are you looking at this Florida Gator team this year? Yeah, I'm not a huge Emory Jones fan, to be honest with you, but you just look at the track record of Dan Mullen. It's, you know, you're, you're really going against the grain if you don't think that uh, Dan Mullen has the ability to coach up a quarterback. Now, at the same time, uh, you know, this is a weird one because Emory Jones, we've seen him on the field for multiple seasons now. And, you know, people like to conveniently forget that when Felipe Franks left, the assumption was it's going to be Emory Jones time. Well, it wasn't. It was Kyle Trask time. And I, you know, they keep talking up Emory Jones and his ability to throw the ball. I just don't think it's on the same par as uh, Kyle Trask. And even if it is, I don't think he's got the weapons like a Tony, like a Pitts out there. So uh, Dan Mullen is a great co quarterback coach and offensive mind play caller for a reason, because he doesn't uh, ask his players to do things they're not capable of doing. So even if the Gators transition to more of a run-based attack, more of a, uh, a quarterback run offensive system, which uh, the backup can do as well, Richardson. So I don't think there's any concern. I mean, you never want your quarterback to get injured, obviously, but you know, some teams, like maybe I'm looking at LSU right now, you only got two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster. You're not gonna be running Max Johnson as much as you probably want to because of that. I don't think that's uh, something that Florida considers given the, the state of, uh, you know, they've got two or three quarterbacks on their roster that can run the ball. So I think they're going to lean a lot more to the run game and you kind of hit it, hit on it there on the defense. I have no idea how they were so bad, but yeah. you know, I think that's more of a, just in general college football. I mean, defenses were horrible last year uh, all across the board. I mean, even guys like Jeremy Pruitt and Will Muschamp, which, you know, you could question whether they know how to coach or not, but they've always been able to coach defenses. They couldn't coach it last year either. So uh, I, I kind of give them a, a mulligan for that Todd Grantham, especially. I think he's a lot better coordinator than people give him credit for. He's got a lot of talent to work with. I think uh, Florida's defense will be one of the more improved units in the SEC this year. And uh, I think there's a real gap between Florida and Georgia and everybody else in the East right now. While you say that, it, where do you stand on this Kentucky team? I mean, uh, Rosenthal transfers in from LSU. This line is probably maybe, and I'm not being hyperbolic here, but this Kentucky Wildcat offensive line is top three in the country, maybe. Mm -hmm. Maybe the best in the country, if you, if you want to go that far. And uh, early reports from camp have uh, Will Levi – the transfer from Penn state actually being able to throw the ball. I mean, you look up and down this offense, it's, it's nice. 
That defense is still very good. Kentucky, that's been their calling card the last few years, strong defense. Um, I, you know, I was talking with somebody who two weeks ago hated the Wildcats, and now they're, now they're you know, starting to get warm about them, the warm and fuzzy feeling. <laughs> is, is, that, is, are, is Kentucky actually viable to, to win the SEC East? I don't think to win the SEC East now they could certainly uh... – you know, surprise and finished as high as number two, but I just got too many questions with their offense and, you know, yeah, you hit on the offensive line. I've been hearing that for two or three years at Kentucky and they've got Chris Rodriguez. He's maybe the most underrated player in the entire SEC. He may lead the league in rushing, but again, you know, that it's just, you can't play college football in today's modern era with just running the ball and strong defense. That's only good for, seven, maybe eight wins in the SEC. You've got to be able to air it out. And, yeah, we've been hearing good things about the transfer from Penn State, but I've heard about uh, good things about seems like four or five Penn State backups that couldn't play come to the SEC and come to find out they cannot play in the SEC. So if you can't play at Penn State, I don't know uh, why in the world everybody thinks this kid is going to be that good. I hope he is. I hope he is for Kentucky fans. But uh, And then you go a step further. I mean, I like Josh Ali at receiver. They're bringing in Wondell Robinson, who uh, apparently lit up the world there at Nebraska. But what do they got behind them? Uh, again, you, you can't go in. We're talking SEC, man. Having two good receivers just ain't going to cut it. You need five, six, seven guys. Uh, that's what Alabama and LSU and Georgia have been having in recent years. And I think that's why Texas A&M's not been able to get over the hump because they don't have those guys yet. And they certainly don't have them at Kentucky. So too many question marks. And that's before we even get to a uh, first time play caller. I mean, we're all fired up that we got Liam Cohen from the Los Angeles Rams. He was an assistant to an assistant there. And he's never called plays at this level. Not saying he can't do it, but you know, they got Missouri week two, which is a dangerous team. And Hey, I've seen this story many times where we get all excited about a new coordinator, fresh face. He's going to change the culture and all this. And, and we're going to be awesome on that side of the ball. What happens if, uh, you know, they only score 10 points or 14 points against Missouri? His ass will be on the hot seat. You know what I mean? So, yeah. uh, like I said, these narratives change quickly. So, I have to see what he can do in terms of being a, an effective play caller for Kentucky. Not saying he can't do it, but when I have no knowledge to go off of on him, no knowledge to go off on the quarterback, and I got questions at the depth of the receiver position – it's just hard for me to buy into all that and think that Kentucky is going to be uh, a truly effective on that offensive side of the ball right out the gate. And, and you mentioned Missouri. Uh, you guys have done a great job this year on, on that SEC podcast of illuminating me to how great Eli Drinkowitz is. Um, if, he can, if he can coach half as well as he can uh, give out one-liners, <laughs> they're going to be all right. Uh, I've heard, I've heard from a lot of folks that, that, that are bulldog fans that, you know, if this ain't it, then maybe we need to start looking elsewhere, um, and, and pull the plug on Kirby smart, just like, you know, they got rid of Mark Richt. I think for a time there, you even tweeted out sometime last year, or the year prior, like they were like nip and tuck, like they had essentially the same exact record for a time there. Oh yeah, that's my favorite joke in the SEC. <laughs> and so, I mean, is this really like do or die? Like you, you got to win the SEC this year. 
And then on top of that, you need to be playing for the national championship when it's all said and done. Yeah. Well, you know, I kid around because I do think Kirby's a great coach. I think he may be the best recruiter in the country, but you know, it, it is interesting because they do seem to drop a game every year. They shouldn't lose, but you know, to, to answer your question, I think Alabama takes a slight step back. I think Florida takes a step. Auburn's rebuilding completely. So, I mean, these are all your key rivals on your schedule. Yes, you got the uh, tough opener against Clemson, but and I think Georgia will win that game. But even if they don't, it means nothing, obviously, for the SEC standing. And when you're Georgia Bulldogs and you're loaded with five-star talent on both sides of the ball, defense should be Again, that was another defense that kind of struggled last year. But again, I give a lot of these teams uh, just kind of a mulligan on how the defense played last year. I expect with uh, Dan Lanning and Kirby Smart running that defense that they'll be a lot better this year. And they have all the tools on offense to, again, I, I'm i not buying JT Daniels hype as uh, some Heisman contender. Like I see a lot of people doing that. Uh, I don't think Kirby is going to let Todd Munkin, the offensive coordinator, completely open it up to where you know, he's going to be scoring 40, 50 points a game and throwing four or five touchdowns every outing. That's just not the Georgia way. And they don't really need J.G. Daniels to do that. Now, he's maybe he does have the uh, skill set to do that. But, you know, they're going to. I don't want to say protect the ball, but, uh, you know, I guess most teams, they don't need to score 40, 50 points because the defense is going to be solid enough to hold them to under 30 and every 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 game. So uh, I think JT Daniels, what they really need him to do when they play a Florida, when they play in Alabama, when they play Clemson, they need him to make the key plays that quarterbacks in years past couldn't make. And he's got all the talent in the world. Uh, I just, I'm, like I said, I'm not buying him as a Heisman type guy, but uh, I think uh, with three deep at running back, don't forget this name, Kendall Milton. I mean, everybody pumps up uh, Zamir White, Zeus, and James Cook, and they're they're excellent. I'm not sitting here saying they're bad backs, but when you're looking at a Georgia backfield and you got a guy like me saying Kendall Milton by the end of the year is probably going to be the best of the bunch, that should just give you an indication of how deep Georgia is all across the board where third stringers could be their best player on the roster at that position. Hello, everyone. This is Chris Van Dyne from North Coast Sports. You'll hear me here every week during football season with my main man, Stu, from the StuCast. And just want to let everyone know we got a lot going on at North Coast. we got Power Sweep coming up. Going to be releasing that at the end of August. And get on board for Power Sweep at ncsports.com. Definitely check out our podcast on ncsports.com. And like I said, you'll hear me every week giving out some of the best handicapping picks that you will get in the industry uh, with Stu and Bobcat every week here, as well as at North Coast Sports, ncsports.com. And we're looking forward to football season. I want to switch over to the SEC West, which is pretty much, I mean, it's like Thunderdome. It's my favorite thing in the world to watch. Ex meh, maybe some Mountain West football. It's going to be feisty, <laughs> Mike. I'm telling you. Um, but the SEC West, it just seems like you go, The maybe the worst team in the West is Arkansas. And I know you're the, the biggest Arkansas fan there is, but 
this is a really good Arkansas team. Like this isn't like, uh, you know, a, a squad that is, you know, just bereft of talent. Mm-hmm. Arkansas is good. Mississippi State, if you believe in Mike Leach and, and the air raid, probably probably going to be a little bit better. Yeah. Um, Lane, I'm on the Lane train. I love me some Lane. You know, Max Johnson, I think, is a re- revelation. You keep going up and down before you even get to Alabama. It, it is there are we getting close to seeing parity or is it just again Alabama and everybody else now this year I see it uh three teams at the top Alabama obviously LSU and Texas A&M I even got LSU winning the West this year so uh, I think they've got the pieces in place bringing back enough talent and you know I know last year was terrible but I think they're a lot closer to 2019 LSU than they are 2020 uh let's not forget Coach O I believe the record was 45 and 10 at LSU until last season. So he's an elite coach. At least he has been during his time there in Baton Rouge. Uh, but as for the rest, I mean, it's not a significant drop off either. Um, now the only team on the West I'm really down on is Auburn. I think they're going to be the worst team in the West, but even them, I mean, they've got talent across the board, Mississippi State, like you said, Ole Miss, Arkansas. I think all those teams are capable if they play their A-plus game can beat anybody in that division. That includes Alabama this year. So I think the because I keep saying, I think the Crimson Tide take a slight step back this year. So, uh, yeah, Arkansas, I love Arkansas. I got Arkansas as the fourth best team in the West. But, again, would it stun me if Mississippi State does that? Would it stun me if Ole Miss does it? No, not at all. So, uh, I mean, there's so much to like about all those teams. And every week, week in, week out, it's going to be nothing but a minefield in that SEC West. We're going to be seeing plenty of those matchups uh, on on CBS and ESPN at night. And, uh, you know, those are the ones I'm looking forward to more than any any other. You know, it's it's weird. I was having a conversation the other day with somebody, and we were talking SEC West football, and I said it's weird. If you take away the outliers of Mississippi State and Ole Miss, which is, you know, it's its own special brand of football almost, uh, all gas, no breaks. You look at Arkansas, you look at Texas A&M and LSU and Alabama this year, this year especially, you've got some really solid quality defenses. Mm-hmm. And it really feels like the SEC West may, in, in certain regards, be who has the toughest defense. It, can, is this the best Alabama defense you've seen? Because I, I think I was going through Phil Steele's uh, All-American pages, and it was like seven or eight Bama starters within his first three teams All-American. Uh, is I feel like this is the most loaded I I can remember it in a, in a little while, maybe mm-hmm. since 2014. Where do you stack up this Alabama defense? Yeah, again, I'm not really buying the hype, man. I think a and going to have a better defense than Alabama. Uh, I think everybody's just kissing the rings and, you know, all due respect to Nick Saban, he is the greatest of all time, but, you know, I really think his defense has uh, taken a step back in recent years. And, you know, everybody loves to blame that on Pete Golding. Uh, Let's not kid ourselves. I mean, this is Nick Saban's defense. Uh, What happened? I know, you know, it always sounds like I'm such a hater when I talk about Alabama, but I hear, I hear some thunder rumbling in the background, (laughs) but look what happened when they played Ole Miss last year. I mean, they got shredded 
And, and as soon as they came off the field, they were just making excuses. Lane Kiffin stealing our signals, even though they're running hurry up and they're snapping the ball in 10 seconds. It's not possible to steal a sign that quickly. Uh, what happened when they played Dan Mullen's offense in the SEC championship game? Almost gave up 50 points. Uh, what happened when they played Trevor Lawrence in Clemson? I mean, they gave up, what was it, like 50-something points. Uh, they gave up 48 to, uh, to, well, I know there was two defensive touchdowns, but hell, Bo Nix beat them as a freshman. I mean, there's, there's so many games that are popping up in the last couple of years where this defense has been exposed. And I think, um, you know, like I say, I, I like to throw kind of a mulligan towards some of these teams that, that struggled last year. The, the mulligan is not the right word for Alabama, but it was clear. With after the first month or two of the season, there were programs that were not handling COVID properly. And Alabama, I don't know, they, they, they missed one, one guy all year. They, I don't know what the hell they did down there. Maybe they had the vaccine early, but nobody got COVID. Nobody missed a game. They were all locked in. I think that's more of, uh, you know, just the outstanding culture they got down there. They knew they were chasing an SEC championship. They knew they were chasing another national championship. So it's a lot easier to keep people engaged when you're doing that. And then, of course, the offense was scoring 50, 55 points a game. So, uh, it, you know, it just when you're going up against a, a juggernaut on offense like that, uh, I think your defense is in a in, is in such an advantageous position because you're just pinning your ears back and you're trying to kill that quarterback. And more often than not, they were able to do it when they were facing teams that were struggling with COVID or like LSU had a bunch of opt outs or Arkansas didn't have damn any linemen to play in the game. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I'm not buying the hype. And I think, uh, like I said, I think Texas A&M's got better defense than Alabama this year. Where, where do you put A&M's chances? Because you, you, uh, you did mention them as being in that top three. And I think everybody has them somewhere in that top three. But we still don't know who's, who their starting quarterback is. Kellen Mond um, was, you know, it wasn't the flashiest guy in the world, but you knew what you were getting. Do you think this, uh, whatever route they go, we're going to get something new, a little bit more throwing, a little bit more up-tempo, or are we going to get the uh, Jimbo, you know, patented, get an early lead, and yeah, the game's going to end in 44 minutes, so we'll just wait for that. Well, I certainly hope we're getting something different because uh, I really like Kellamon. I thought he was a great. Here's a way I, I like to explain Kellamon. He was an outstanding football player. I don't know. Of course, he just drafted in the third round by the Minnesota Vikings. So I, I'm not sitting here ripping him up to shreds or anything. He's, he's a really good player. But I just never – you remember a couple of years ago when he played Clemson? He was a sophomore and he looked like – it was like, my God, who is this, Cam Newton? He was never able to replicate that again. And I think his, his, you know, that was his finest moment. And the fact that we're sitting here talking about it three years later, that him being a sophomore one game against a really good Clemson team was his finest moment kind of says it all. So, uh, you know, he, he certainly had his moments, but I think this is an opportunity for Texas A&M to, to go to another level on the offensive side of the ball. Last year, they were mostly just led by the offensive line and, and three really outstanding running backs. And again, it goes back to what I was saying against, you know, with Kentucky. I mean, that'll win you some games, but it's not going to win you championships, not in today's modern era. They need receivers to emerge. And given Jimbo Fisher's track record, whether it's Zach Calzada, whether it's Hayes King, 
Uh, I don't have any doubt in my mind that uh, – they can get effective quarterback play out of either one of those. So we'll see who it is, but uh, they really need whoever the quarterback is for the, the receivers in particular. They're loaded at tight end, but again, tight ends only get you so far. You need those guys that can really stretch the field and just be matchup nightmares for defenses. I don't quite know if they have that in College Station right now, and that's kind of why I have Texas A&M for as good as I think their defense is going to be. Uh, every nice thing I just said about the Aggies, uh, I think Alabama and LSU certainly have the edge when it comes to playmakers on the outside. And that's just kind of where college football is at right now. It's, it's all about those playmakers on the outside. Before we let you go here, I want to hit a little bit of rapid fire just to uh, tie a nice bow on everything. Going to ask you some quick questions. Sure. You may get hate mail out of it. I don't know. <laughs> um, we'll see. Who wins the Egg Bowl? Uh, Ole Miss. That a team with the win total projected. I know you, I'm only asking this because I know you covered it a couple weeks ago. Uh, team that's going to outperform their win total. Team that's under going to going to under underperform. There you go. Alliteration. <laughs> Definitely Arkansas for the over. I mean, I do not know. What in the world uh, anybody's thinking with, with their low number? I think it's like three and a half, something like that. I think they're going to win seven or eight games this year. And then the under, I'm going to Auburn. Um, I think their number's already been bet down. And that, that was the one I was preaching when they first came seven. out. I think yeah. <laughs> I think when it came out, it was, it was eight, seven and a half, something like that. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So Auburn Tigers, I think are they're in for a really rough year. And it's probably going to start week three when they go up to the whiteout there for Penn State. All right, I'm going to give you – I'm not giving you Alabama, okay? <laughs> you got to pick national championship here, okay? All right. Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, Oklahoma, and your LSU at plus 3,300. Which one you think has the best shot this year to win the national championship? The streak's coming to an end. It's the Georgia Bulldogs. No more uh, 1980 jokes after, after this season. All right, that'll make some friends of ours in Athens happy. <laughs> and uh, last question here, who – you guys do a great job kind of letting folks know who the up-and-comers are. All we heard about last year, you guys did a lot of pieces on Marshawn Lloyd before he got injured. Who's mm -hmm. the newcomer uh, coming into this season that we're going to – by the end of it, we're going to know their name and be projecting them for – you know, top tens in the NFL draft or something. Mm. Um, that's an interesting question. How about uh, Florida's got a corner that's coming in, Jason Marshall. I think he's going to start as a true freshman. And Florida's had a you know long history of uh, developing some elite yep. defensive backs. So I think he's next in line right there. That that'd be the name I'd give you. Beautiful. Mike, where can the good people find you once again? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, check me out on uh, Twitter as SEC Mike and check out the website that secpodcast.com and uh, we're the highest rated SEC podcast on the Apple podcast app. So find us there as well. Yeah. And drop a nice review. You get a koozie. Absolutely. We send a beer koozie to each and every one of you that does that. And uh, we got all 14 teams, of course, 
Now we got to get 16. So <laughs> we're going to get Texas and Oklahoma koozies before you know it. But uh, yeah, that's just our little way of saying thanks for each and every one of you that does that. Sounds like a 2022 problem for Mike Bratton. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Mike, I, I can't thank you enough. That SEC podcast, go check it out. It is such a nice little listen. It's it's quick. It's concise. You guys mix in uh, audio from the pressers that, you know, guys like us wouldn't normally listen to. But they're, they're good stuff. And you got great interviews um, that you intermix with everything. And, um, man, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. Even though I may disagree with you on a bunch of stuff, mm -hmm. um, you always come correct with uh, facts and everything. And it's a great show and, and much success to you and uh, our friend, cousin Shane. All right. I appreciate you, Stu. Thanks for having me, man. I really do appreciate you. Always brother. And hopefully uh, sometime during the season, when, if you get free in that 12 hour workday, we can, <laughs> uh, we can do this again. Absolutely. Let's do it. All right, folks, we'll be back later in the week with some more content for you. But until next time, I'm Stu signing out.